All right, don't get up yet, kids. I know you're trained to just, when you see me, like immediately you leave the room and it's awesome, not so awesome. Because um, we're just going to, I need your help for a couple minutes. We're going to talk today about the right kind of celebrating and what it does in our life. But first, have you ever noticed that the right kind of celebrating always seems to include singing? I mean, think about it. Just think about it. And I mean, think about other than church or VBS, which I would both say are celebration. Um, when is the last time that you sang to celebrate something? Birthdays. Bingo. Huh? Touchdown. Jesus. All right. Birthdays. Seriously. Now, the most recent birthday party that I was a part of was my niece's. She just turned five. And um, she's kind of precocious, and so she demands pretty high excellence of party and celebration. But think about it, because, you know, these birthday parties, when we think about what they include, even, even the overdone ones, but even the basic ones, you know, they include people to be invited and show up. So thanks, guys, for showing up today. And they include some kind of gift or offering. We usually call them presents, right? But we took an offer, we received an offering, so, you know, we've got that bill. And then there's usually some kind of, um, oh, I don't know, like cake. It's usually placed on a table, but, you know, we could call that an altar, and, and, and so we've got that down. And then we light it up, right? We light it up and we sing. Well, funny thing, Luke started singing, this little young man in the front row, because, in fact... Five years ago, this Sunday, was our very first preview worship service. So I think in honor of celebration of that, we should sing happy birthday to Restoration. Now, I heard it's Don's birthday too. Are we going to sing to, it was Don's birthday yesterday. Okay, so just happy birthday to Restoration. All right, so Ron, sound guy, please mute my microphone so that everyone can (laughs) enjoy and participate. Please. Because I, I do not lead singing. But let's sing and celebrate. Restoration. All right. All right. Yeah. But you could have seen your faces. So now we'll dismiss the students and the kids. And, um, and then I want you to think adults or, or older students, teenagers, about how you exactly sing happy birthday. If my niece was here, she would have said, that's unacceptable. <laughs> she might have said that. Now, some of you smiled, you know, but, but I, didn't, I didn't see this full excitement in your, in your voices. It sounded a little too much like some of the birthday parties that I've been a part of. You know, like, hey, we're Swedish or Scandinavian we, or German. We don't share our emotions very much. There you go. I'm singing for you. So I really believe that the right kind of celebration actually affects our life way more than we realize. In fact, I would, I would go so far as to say that the right kind of celebration can fill our lives with hope, with peace, with power, with patience, and with a joy that is unbelievable because it's all from God. 
So how do we make sure that we're celebrating in the right ways to have that kind of filling? Because I know I need more of God's joy and his peace and his patience and his power and his good in my life. What about you? You need more of God's peace, more of his patience, more of his joy, more of his power flowing through your life? Like, what would it look like, or what would your attitude look like if you had more of God's joy and more of his gratitude flowing in your life next week? What would it look like in your relationships? How would they maybe change if you had more of God's peace and more of God's power flowing in your life next week? See, today we look at what's involved in the right kind of celebrating. If you have a Bible, you might want to turn to Romans chapter 12. If you want to turn somewhere else, that's fine. But we're going to be in Romans chapter 12. And uh, you can look at it on your device. We won't judge you. God's word can speak through that. And if you want a, a Bible printed, someone will bring you one. If you raise your hand, it's amazing. Romans chapter 12 talks about the right kind of celebrating. Just a few short verses, but wow, do they pack some power. 12.1 Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. The scripture we have on the screen says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. In fact, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. Now, this writer, Paul, he's a missionary, he's a follower of Jesus, and he's learned this right kind of worship, this right kind of celebrating, and he writes to the church about how to live through faith in Christ in the center of the Roman Empire. This is the palace or the the central location of pride, of power, and of even hatred towards specifically God's people, but kind of anything that isn't really Roman, And yet, this is a cosmopolitan city. There are people that have traveled from Africa to be in this city because the Roman Empire stretches from Spain all the way across into the Middle East and even stretching almost to the Far East. So there's African people, there's Middle Eastern people, there's maybe even some Far Eastern people. There's certainly Greeks, there's certainly Romans, and there's certainly Jews that are all living in this city trying to live through faith in Jesus. They have different foods that they eat and they like. They have different clothing that they enjoy wearing. They have different ways to celebrate. They even would say that they define celebration differently. And Paul tells them, after a lot of chapters of theology, after a lot of chapters of introduction, he tells them what true and proper worship is. 
Notice he didn't say anything about singing. I urge you, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing. This is your spiritual act of worship. See, I think the right kind of celebration involves all of your being. The writer pleads with us or urges us to offer our bodies as a sacrifice. Now, if you're going to offer your body, it's not just a physical thing. Because if you were Hebrew, if you were Jewish, if you were Christian, if you believed in this way of Jesus, then you knew that body meant your whole person. Like showing up at a birthday party, you bring yourself there. It's hard to sing happy birthday through a phone. You can do it, but there's this one awkward person that's like holding a phone as everyone's singing around them. You've been there, and the, the candles are lit, and people are all there, and then there's just this one like bright little screen shining down. It's not the same as being there, offering all of yourself. Your body, especially, your physical, especially, because um, Jesus, when he lived on earth, it says in Ephesians that he gave himself up for us. That was not just his mind and not just his spirit. That was his body on that cross. And so we offer our bodies. It means to be all of it, true and proper. Maybe you have a, uh, a translation that says this is your spiritual act of worship. Spiritual for that time meant united in mind, heart, and body. It meant to be true, genuine, and authentic. That's spiritual. That's spiritual in the truest sense of the word. And so this is what we bring in the right kind of celebrating, in the true and proper worship. Now, this makes sense if we think about the rest of the sentence because he's saying, I plead with you to offer your bodies, to present them. That's different than, like, sacrifice, and now you're dead. The same word is used when um, the writer is talking about, in 1 Corinthians 11, about presenting a bride to a groom. When, when the father of the bride offers his daughter to the groom, even in that time, it did not meant for ownership. She still had a will, she still had a personhood, she still had things to bring to the table. And so it is th- not a change of ownership, but a decision to give one's service to, or unite one's life to. Got to be a part of a wedding last week. And both people had to show up. That was like the first thing. There's two things that have to happen. Everything else is gravy. I tell every couple this, and usually they need it. One, both show up. Two, both say I do. Everything else, it's, it's just extra. Bring yourself. This is the right kind of celebrating. When we bring ourselves there, our beliefs and our bodies, they have to go together. And there's this specific kind of celebrating or this specific kind of sacrifice that this writer is talking about. It's supposed to be alive, not dead. It's supposed to be holy, which would mean set apart or dedicated to God or devoted to God. Now remember, this is written to a people, predominantly a lot of Jews or Greeks and Romans, who devoted themselves to a lot of different gods. 
They sacrificed dead things all the time to these gods. So this holy was to the one true God. And then finally, it says that it's a pleasing sacrifice, one that is fully pleasing or acceptable, fully acceptable as in satisfying to him. Not not appeasing an angry God, but knowing that this God is pleased with you regardless of the sacrifices or the offerings you're making. And so he says, come with your whole self. Be fully engaged in this. The last time you were at a birthday party, how present were you? Were you singing with all of your body? Engaged in that moment, saying to that person, I care about you. I'm thinking about you, which gets us to the second point of the the things that are involved in the right kind of celebration. The right kind of celebration involves all of our thoughts. The the writer goes on and says, don't conform to the copy or the behaviors and the customs or don't conform to the pattern of this world, to the way of this world's thinking, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind because then you'll be able to test and approve of what God's will is, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. There's that pleasing word again, this acceptable or satisfying idea. See, we don't just offer ourselves in the right kind of celebrating, we offer our focus, we offer our thoughts, we offer our minds. You've been at a party, I bet, where there's a birthday party. Hey, we're going to sing, and there's someone like over in the other room going, okay, just a second, I'll be there in a moment. Like they're physically present, but they're not really present. And when we bring our thoughts, we bring our beliefs and we bring our attitudes. And we even, I would say, go so far as to sing with our eyes when we sing happy birthday to that person that we care about. Whether it's a 90th birthday or whether it's a 5th birthday. Happy birthday to you. To you. Because I'm focused on you in this moment. I care about you in this moment. I want you to know that I am pleased with you. I'm excited to be here. I'm physically present, but I'm thinking about being here as well. Isn't that the right kind of celebrating? One where you're actually looking at the person when you sing. That's the kind of same idea that this writer is talking about, about conforming to the patterns of this world by the renewing of our mind. Because, see, It's so easy for us to be distracted in life. It's easy for us to be distracted at a birthday party. The behaviors and the patterns of this world, I would say, go way, 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 way back. In fact, they go back to the very first stories of the Bible, where God makes this good world with everything available to us, this unconditional relationship, this free-flowing dialogue where there's nothing between humanity or God. Everything is good. And there's this, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the woman looks at the tree, and the guy's not off the hook because he's there too, and she goes, hmm, maybe God's holding back on us. Maybe he's holding something, withholding something. He's limiting us. I don't want to live limited I want 
that I desire to know what I'm missing. And the world became a self-focused world. Yes, saturated with sin. Sin is anything that separates us from God, but a self-focused world, uh, my space, I device, selfie stick, self-centered place. These are the patterns of this world, the way of thinking, and it affects me every day. Probably affects you. Think about where your thoughts go most of the day. What do your thoughts revolve around? Is it a coworker that offended you or a sibling that is making your life miserable? It's still things that are focused on you. Not trying to say it to make you feel guilty. Just trying to illustrate the point of the writer saying, if you want to have the right kind of celebration, yes, it's all of your your being or all of your person, but, but it's all of your thoughts, which means that you have to be diligent in turning your thoughts away from self to God. In fact, he says you can be as diligent as you want, but really, truly, in order to do this, you've got to not conform to the patterns of this world or be shaped by those thoughts, which it's so easy to do, but you've got to be transformed, which is really a change from the inside out, a change in the outside of us because of something that happened on the inside of us. It's that change from the caterpillar to the butterfly where the essence has changed. Yes, it's still the same creature. It just had to go in a cocoon where the inside had to be changed. And that's what God invites us to. It's called this renovation of our mind, our way of thinking. It's this constant rededication to the reality that left to myself, I think left to yourselves, our world would revolve around us instead of around God. And so this invitation to the right kind of celebration is the invitation to a Christ-centered life where we revolve around the Son of God. And our life, when we do that, is filled with more joy. It's filled with more peace, because he's the Prince of Peace. It's filled with more hope. It's filled with more trust, because Jesus was always one who would say, I only do what I see the Father doing. And the Father and I are one. And when Jesus went down to be baptized to start his ministry, the heavens opened and God said, this is my son. Identifies him. Whom I love. Affection, presence, thoughts. With whom I am well pleased. I delight in him. I'm satisfied. He hasn't even done much yet. That's where our thoughts go. When we celebrate someone on their birthday, if they're 90, we celebrate them because they lived for 90 years. Really, though, we'd probably be there because we have a personal relationship with them. Not because they made it to 90. I don't know how many of you crash 90th or 100-year-old birthday parties. Maybe it's something to do, but you probably go because you have a relationship there. And the God of the universe wants a relationship with us. 
every day. Not as a servant to a master, as a friend. Yes, as the God of the universe, but even over and over in Scripture, it is the affection of marriage, the affection of oneness, this intimate knowing. So if that seems like a long shot for you, I would, I would just have you look at it as an invitation to leave behind a self-centered life and enter a Christ-centered life. Those are the right kinds of celebrating. Third kind of celebrating, the right kind of celebrating, involves all of our time. So we go back to that first verse, and we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, living sacrifice. So not just our beliefs, not just ourselves, not just our attitudes, but our actions. We offer our sleeping, our eating, our going to work, our hanging around, our fun with our friends. We offer all of this time to God in our right kind of celebrating. And, and here's what I, I just don't think we get. I just don't think we really get what it means to be alive and what it means to be dead. Remember that first story where Adam and Eve are in the garden and God says, now, just this is all for you to enjoy, relationship with me, but there's this one tree, don't eat from this because if you eat from it, if you touch it, you'll, or if you eat from it, you'll die. And they eat from it and they have to leave the garden, but they don't die. So is the Bible wrong? Or is maybe the writer so enlightened so dramatically right that we've been getting it wrong that there's something about life that is connected to god in a way that we don't even understand that they were dead in that moment because being spiritually dead is being dead and being spiritually alive is being more alive than we probably even realize see Jesus' sacrifice was enough, so we don't have to offer dead sacrifices anymore, but here's the problem with being an alive sacrifice. Maybe you've heard this before. The problem with being an alive sacrifice is you can crawl right off the altar. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. We looked at the story of Jacob and Abraham a few weeks ago, and Jake, uh, Jacob would have been, or Jacob? Isaac? Isaac. Genesis 22, Isaac. Isaac would have been old enough and strong enough to take his dad down, and he stays on the altar because he trusts his dad and his God. It's so easy to crawl off the altar. Uh, we had some teenagers, we had 11 teenagers go to the most unbelievable ultimate urban camping escape, Moose for short, M-U-U-C-E, one of the worst phonetic spellings on the planet, but very fun event, and uh, I got to hear from some of the students about what they thought the best part of the event was, and so many of them said, oh, the speaker. Really? That's great. They usually pick good speakers. What was so great about the speaker? Well, he really made me think about my life in new ways. I mean, spiritually. He talked about how your life, I might not get it quite as right as he did, but how your life is like a piece of paper. 
like the whole thing is your whole life. And so some people, they want to give themselves to God. They want to commit their life to God. They want to offer themselves as a living sacrifice. But they don't really like the fact that they're always disorganized. So they, they don't, they don't want to bring that part. And they don't really like the fact that they have some family tension that there's and some competition and some passive-aggressive. They don't really like that part, but they want to offer their whole life to God. They, but they don't really like what happened to them that they can't talk about because they're scared. And they don't really like the bad decision that they made last year that they haven't told anybody about. And they, they don't really like or they don't think that God will like the dreams that they have of what they want to do with their life because it doesn't sound very spiritual. But they want to offer their whole life to God and so they come to the altar with their life. And I think some of us come to God like this. Again, no judgment. We don't bring all of ourselves. We certainly don't want to bring our weaknesses. We certainly don't want to bring the things that we don't like. But that's what makes the good news of Jesus so amazing is because Jesus, Jesus takes all of this and he says, bring it all. I will make this all new. Through the power of my life, the faithfulness of God, through the total commitment to him to say, not my will, but yours, God, be done. I will put all this together and you will be more beautiful because you brought all of yourself to God. And you will show God's love to be the amazing love that it is because you took the good and the bad and you brought your whole self. You don't have to feel like three or four different people. You could just be one person. You could live a life and wholly, like, devoted and acceptable to God. To be pleased with you. And that's just something I'm, I'm still starting to, still figuring out and still understanding. But I guess maybe the question would be, what holds you back from devoting your whole life to God? bring this, but what are these things? What holds you back from devoting your whole life to God? Just ask the Spirit in this moment. And finally, the right kind of celebrating involves all of your Jesus. I know that sounds a little weird, but I have a point to it. The right kind of celebrating involves all of your Jesus. And here we got to go over to John chapter 4. I'm sure it's other place, but we're going to go to John chapter 4 because 
Jesus, again, is talking to people about what the right kind of celebrating is, the true and proper worship. And in this moment in John 4, Jesus has just started a ministry tour early in his ministry with his disciples. They've left to go buy some bread. And so he's at this moment, and he had to go through Samaria. He comes to a town in Samaria called Sychar and near a plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, hmm? Joseph. And he was thirsty from the journey, and he sat down by the well. It was about noon. And all of a sudden, a woman comes up, and this woman did not come at 6 a.m. like all the other women of the village, probably because she would have been shunned by the other women because she was breaking some cultural norms. She was breaking some religious norms. She wasn't living in the right way according to those things and the, the behaviors and customs that they should have been. So she comes to the well at noon, and Jesus engages her. He asks her for a drink of water, and so they start a conversation. And she says, well, tell me what, what I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. And he talks about this gift of God. He talks about the chosen one who's going to save humanity. And he talks about living water. Now, living water is a, a one way to describe living with God in God's kingdom forever. And so listen carefully to this part. Here's a woman who goes to the well to avoid people because she's thirsty because, you know, this is an arid culture, right? So if you don't drink for a day or two or three, you die. And she doesn't want to die. I mean, when we boil it down to the basic necessity, she wouldn't have gone to that well because of what the culture was, because of her life. She would have avoided the well at any cost, but she had and wanted to live there are some things in our lives where we just keep avoiding, but we got to come back because we got to live. And Jesus meets us in those things. She doesn't want to give her whole life to God. He challenges her whole life, and he confronts it in a loving way, and she's, she just keeps holding it back. If you study the story the whole time, she's, she just holds it back, holds it back. But when he offers this living water, she says, it's in John four fifteen. 15. Tell me, this is the essence of what it says. I think it's on the screen. Tell me where I can get this living water so I won't have to keep coming back to this well. Right? She wants to live, so she knows she has to drink. She hears about the living water, and she sees it as a ticket, as a transaction. Tell me where I can get this living water so I don't have to come back. I don't want a relationship with you, Jesus. I just want to get the water so that I can go on with my life. And now we wonder, or maybe hopefully by now you're picking up the right kind of celebrating and why we sometimes sing, Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, I forgot to write down your name. Happy birthday. This woman has met Jesus, but she hasn't made him her Jesus. She hasn't understood yet that this living water is not a transaction that she gets to take and then go on with her life. That life 
is found in Jesus, living connected to him, not as a duty, not as an obligation, not as a list of do's and don'ts, not as a holy huddle, just as life with God together. And it's a party when we get it. When the disciples come back, they're like, do you want something to eat? And he's like, I got food that you don't even know about. And he's like, what are you talking about? And it's this joyous, divine conversation when people see Jesus and they say, I can have a relationship with Jesus. That's what I mean by the right kind of celebrating involves your Jesus. Because you can't have true life without him. And Jesus makes this way for us to be restored with God so that we can have life in him every day so that this life and this right kind of worship and this true and proper celebration can be ours. And maybe you don't give all of yourself to Jesus because there's something you don't like, but maybe you don't give part of Jesus because it's precisely that you like it. I really like this part, God, that I don't want to give you but we'll never have the right kind of celebration. We'll never know God's joy and his peace and his hope if we don't just bring it all. See what he says. See what he does with it. It's a joyous, amazing, amazing moment. Not only will we have relationship with him, it says that we'll know God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. I don't know anyone who doesn't want to know that. And yet, we have to think like Jesus and be able to say, not my will, God, but yours, be done in my life. I offer myself in relationship with you and in service to you and in worship to you. So I don't just come to church to worship. I go to work and I worship God at work and I worship God with my friends and I worship God with my family and I worship God when I play, and I worship God when I run, maybe, and I, no, just kidding, I do. I worship in all of these places because worship isn't confined to a building. The whole world is God's. It's his temple, and we get to dwell in it and live in it in joy and in peace, and he says at the end of this story, he says there's a time that's coming, it's actually here, when God is looking for people who will worship him in spirit and his truth. These are the kind of worshipers that are getting the celebration right. These are the ones that he wants and he's seeking and he wants you to find that. He wants me to find that. Have you found it? The right kind of celebrating, the the celebrating, the worshiping in spirit and in truth. See, people who do this, they're people who see God's mercies, because it says, therefore, in view of God's mercies and all that he's done for us and the giving of Jesus in the living, faithful living and perfect living of his life and the beautiful, perfect sacrifice of his life and the resurrection of his life, in view of all that, we allow God to change the way we think and change the way we act. We're people who offer all of ourselves to the one who gave all of himself. Now imagine, as we close, just imagine for a moment someone who lived, lived every part of their life completely devoted and dedicated to God. Would they not transform a corner of the universe? Someone who lived completely devoted and dedicated to God. Would they not be people who restore hope to those around them? I mean, just quickly, Billy Graham lives his life devoted with his whole self to God. 
and millions of people hear the message of Jesus through his life. Or Mother Teresa, who devotes her whole self to God, devotes everything and thousands of the poorest of the poor in one of the corner slums of the world, Calcutta. People know real hope. And others, millions in fact, are inspired to live a life of service to God and people. Or Martin Luther King Jr., who devotes his whole self to God and changes the way people see the color of people's skin. Or Hudson Taylor, who accepts Jesus in his teen years and spends years learning what it means to devote total, totally devote his life to God. And he spends 51 years in China and was instrumental in bringing 800 missionaries, founding 125 schools, and seeing by 1900, in those just under 50 years, 18,000 people come to know Christ. Each one of these people didn't just commit their lives to God, they surrendered their life to God. They trusted Jesus as the faithful one, not out of their own efforts, because they were involved in the right kind of celebrating. What do you need to surrender today? One of the most beautiful pictures of surrender is baptism. Julie talked about it. In two weeks, we're going to do it. And maybe God has been tugging on your heart to take this step of faith. But baptism, when we do this, believer baptism, it says, it's something that says, I declare God, that you are all that I am, that I'm all yours. And I'm giving myself to you. I want to live for you now and forever. I want to be free from my past, and I want to run into your future and into your will and live this kind of celebrating life. And you don't have to give a big, long speech. You don't even have to give a really short speech. You simply need to say, yes, I believe in Jesus. I trust him as my Savior, and I want to live for him. Just in Restoration's five years of existence, we've had 36 people be dedicated or baptized, almost half of which have been teens or adults that have said, yes, I'm, I'm choosing Jesus as my Savior, as my Lord, as Jesus. So, maybe God's tugging at your heart to do that, or renew it. Talk to me if you want. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for just short words of poignant power that point to the right kind of celebrating, the true and proper worship that you want us to live, that you don't demand us to live, but it's out of your mercy that we can choose to live with you and for you and through you. God, help us to see the transformed power and peace and joy and love and hope that flows when we worship you and celebrate you this right kind of way. Teach us what we're holding back. Gently put it in front of us, in love, because you are pleased with us. Amen.